hotel is basically a box with little boxes with beds in it. And, you know, what differentiates one set of boxes to another set of boxes? Ultimately, it's the people. I'm John Fitzgerald, host of The Cord Podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. Welcome to The Cord Podcast. I'm back again. And my guest today is Caroline Cooney Hurl. And our subject topic is exceptional customer experience and leading in a changing world of work remote and hybrid and uh, why we have Caroline today is really to um, I suppose to help us to think through how we add value to our businesses at a time when business is changing and Caroline has an exceptional journey herself very much a diverse and colorful journey from starting out in language teaching to setting up her own business to heading up a customer contact center for one of the leading brands in the hotel world to now as a consultant and advising organizations how to provide that exceptional customer experience. And um, I was just thinking, Caroline, of customer experience and, and during lockdown. And for me, there was a coffee hut that I used to visit quite close to where I worked. And it was set up as a lot of coffee huts were around the country at the time. And uh, it was my first visit there that kind of kept me coming back every day for more coffee. And it was that sense of fun, of sharing. And they were building an experience with all of us who maybe weren't able to communicate with many people at that time. And uh, I just reflected on that ahead of today's conversation, because I think it's more than the, the three euros you pay for the Americano that you get in the morning or whatever. It's, it's a lot more. So just, Caroline, before we get into the professional person, you as um, a person behind that and, and maybe what shaped you as a kid, and we always like to hear the backstory to the person behind the title. So welcome, Caroline, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Delighted, delighted to be here. So I grew up on the outskirts of Cork, uh, in the shadow of Blarney Castle, I used to say, in a really beautiful place, uh, rural Ireland. You know, it's, it's probably suburban now, but it was rural Ireland. I had a really nice childhood in that I had loads of freedom. You know, I say to people now, I was lucky that I had freedom to make my own mistakes and correct them myself before my parents found out about it. And I, and I think when you say what, what shaped you as a child, I think that did, that, uh, that freedom to go out, the expectation to deliver on jobs. Um, you know, when I think of my mother sending me at four years of age to the shop three miles away with a piece of paper and telling me to bring back the messages, I mean, she'd be up on child cruelty now. Um, but that kind of embodies a bit of sense of responsibility into you, I think, and, and like a sense of self-worth that I can do this, I, I suppose. So, yeah, I was very lucky throughout my, you know, have a, a lovely sister, nice mother and father, was um, supported every step of the way. I love school. I was lucky enough to have a pony when I was young to the condition that I looked after that pony. So nobody else in the family was into horses. So I had to learn everything about it. And, I, and again, I think that shaped me to know, you know, to take responsibility. So if I went out for a night to a disco, I had to make sure that, you know, I was feeding the horse beforehand. And all these small things, I think, giving kids a little bit of that sense of ownership at a very young age, I think, helps 
to make you comfortable with it as you grow into in adult life. Yeah, that's really interesting when you think about maybe helicopter parenting today and, you know, being brought everywhere. And it's so different to, I, I just remembered myself going to the messages down the road and having the book, you know, we were on the book. Yeah, It's so difficult for parents nowadays, I think, because they're probably not allowed to give their kids this freedom, right? You know, yeah. email me when you get here, talk to me, text me, you've got a phone. But I do think that being kind of out on your own every so often, I remember being put on the bus to Galway when I was like 11. I mean, you just wouldn't do it now. And this was a great adventure for me. I was like setting off and I was being trusted to travel to my granduncles in Galway, you know, and not get lost. So I do think that helped me. Then you, I went to a co-ed school and I grew up in, um, right the way through was co-ed. And I grew up in a family where I just had one sister. So, you know, anything was possible for us. I studied technical drawing because I had notions of becoming an architect at one point. I wasn't very good at it, so I changed tack. But I had the opportunity. I, you know, I could have done woodwork if I wanted to, or I could have done home economics. And I think that sense of I'm just a person and I can do whatever I want really, really helped me. I'm just kind of float through life, I think, as we went from then on. You know? Yeah, and you emigrated quite young then, obviously, as well. I set off to, to Madrid just after my 21st birthday with £500 in my bank account. And I think, you know, I had no job. I had nowhere to stay. I had just a dream of living this exotic life in the capital of Spain. And I was going to, I was going to, you know, conquer the world. And it was really scary. It was really scary. I mean, when I got on the plane thinking, you know, this was before mobile phones. This is before email. The only way of contacting home was to sit, you know, just a public phone on the side of the street. And it used to cost a fortune. So it was one phone call a week and then loads of letters. But I think within four days, I had a job, an apartment, started to make friends, found my feet. And, you know, that it roughens you up, it toughens you up. You have to get, you know, there's there's no mommy and daddy to fall back on. Um, and mind you, my foot, I could have always wired my father for money, yeah, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> but but really like that sense of I'm out there on my own. And for me, it was this huge freedom. So I, I had a fantastic time. I met amazing people. Um, I learned a lot. I spent a year in Madrid, then a year in Malaga, down south, very different culture. And then I decided, well, look, I, if I stayed much longer, I probably was going to stay there longer term and I didn't particularly like that I I need the draw of home I, I miss the climate I miss the people um so I decided to come home and um then I opened a language school so and again you were quite young when you did that I mean that's a brave move at that age I'll be foolish but anyway <laughs> um so so I did that for three years and I got I, you know I got good contracts I had a contract with Le Club Junior which was part of Club Madrid uh, Le Club in Mediterranean to bring in foreign students, um, French and Spanish students to come in to learn English. And that involved, you know, setting up their accommodations, setting up their classes, planning their activities. Again, a huge amount of responsibility. And maybe with the wide-eyed wonder of youth, I suppose, I didn't balk at it. After a few years, it was, it was really hard work, enjoyable, but hard work. And I really wasn't making enough money to justify keeping it going. So I decided to go and find a real job. And I took a job as a stopgap with ITT Sheraton, as it was at the time, um, 1994, when they opened the, the first call centre. It was actually the first call centre in Cork. Um, and, you know, it was only, it was an entry-level job, but I then ended up in the right place at the right time, 
had amazing people that I worked with and I was able to capitalize on new technology, new way of thinking. And, and it was wildly exciting. You know, I remember going home to my parents and saying, one minute I'm getting a call from Moscow and the next minute I'm getting a call from Israel. And imagine I'm talking to people from the States. This was wildly exciting back in 1994. And because it was a startup, yeah. um, I got the opportunity to learn a little bit of IT to learn how the telephone systems worked, how the operation. I mean, I learned just about every piece of the business. Um, and then I was just really lucky that I got uh, promoted up the way. And I took over in 1998 with uh, just over 100 people. And I stayed with that career and built the operation up to just over 500 people um, until 2017. So I had a great career with Star ITT Sheraton, which was then Starwood, the American corporation. Um, then we were bought out by Marriott in 2016. I stayed on with them through the integration, helped that kind of smooth integration. And then I decided it was time for me to take a break and do something different. So having taken a year out where I did all the things that I planned when I was 65, I thought, why not do them when you're 50? did a beekeeping course, planted an orchard, spent time with my animals, lived the life basically for a year. And then I had to earn money again. So I started consulting on working, you know, the idea being that, that everything I'd learned working for an American corporation, I really wanted to bring that to the Irish business community. There's lots of aspects of the American corporate culture that fit really well with Irish culture. And that when the two are mixed together, you can kind of really make it rock as such. And for anybody listening, what are the key kind of things that you think, you know, leaders can learn, you know, who are building businesses from that culture that you describe? What's in positivity? You know, this American ideal that you can do anything. Um, you know, as Irish people, we're like, ah, oh, look, we're not able to this. So we kind of downplay ourselves a lot. I don't think we intrinsically believe that we're the underdog, but it's kind of like it's part of our psyche, I suppose. Whereas um, I found it at the beginning working with American companies, I found it quite startling that people would tell me how good they were. And I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> and that positivity, I think if that infuses into the Irish culture, you literally can do anything then. Right? Yeah. You're like, we're educated, we're smart, we're used to diplomatically mind finding our way around the world and then you add a little bit of positivity in there then you know it just like makes it sparkle a little bit you know so it almost lifts our confidence to a new level because we have that trait of going around the globe and obviously being well connected and and um very well got by other nations yeah. and, and cultures yeah. yeah yes and i think you see, Irish people, I think, aren't threatening as such. Like, we're not going to invade yeah. anybody, right? I mean, we're, no, no Putin's here. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's a huge benefit out in the world. I think it's, it's that, I, you know, I mean, you hear the IDA talk about it sometimes, but I think genuinely, I think there's doors open for you as an Irish person that we're very lucky that those doors open for us. We speak English. Yes. We're able to modify our language we're used to watching british tv we're used to watching american tv we're we're exposed to a lot of external factors that just equip us to be kind of almost like a citizen of the world i suppose i mean it's a bit cliche but um we're we're used to immigration um and now we're used to immigration where we're learning from people who are coming to our country and what, who are deciding to live here and they're not just you know packing their bags and leaving 
So, um, yeah. So you then transitioned to consultancy, which is different again from working for an American multinational. So how has that been and uh, what has your work involved? So I've worked with, with some state bodies, some small companies, some startups. And presently I'm working with an Italian owned, well, it's a Swiss company, actually. Um, we're launching a luxury cruise brand. So it's a completely startup brand within a large family run organization with a very Italian influence and a bit of Swiss mixed in. Um, so it's different. I'm really enjoying the Europeanness. I'm enjoying that I understand where some of the stuff comes from intrinsically. Um, and I'm not having to flex my style as much. That said, I'm now working with teams in North America. I'm about to start working with a team in Asia Pacific, which will be a new for me. So I'm sure I'm going to have to flex there again. But it's, um, you know, I think with a, a family owned European company, it's a lot more personal. You know, from a corporation point of view, a corporation is responsible for delivering to stakeholders. They, you know, it, it's very, very structured. I think with, with what I'm finding with the company I work with now is it's much more about like you build the relationships, you build the trust. You put forward your argument, um, but it's a lot more personal and it feels a little bit more like a family, mm. which is logical if it's family owned, right? It does feel a bit more like a family, even though it is quite a large organization as well, but really enjoying as well the fact that it's a startup and we're getting to build everything from scratch. So if you'd asked me 10 years ago, like, oh my God, it's a dream, blank sheet of paper, and I'm going to start from scratch. It's really hard because... First of all, you have to imagine what you want. So my role is working with them on guest experience and specifically the customer contact centers and how we deliver that guest experience. So, you know, you, we have, first of all, you have to build and get consensus around about what it should feel like to be a guest, what it should, like, how should they feel? And then from taking that kind of feeling, how do you make that real? So what, what are the components that go into make that real? What are the technological components? And then what are the people components? Because, you know, a cruise ship effectively, I mean, my team laugh at me, but the other day I so said, a cruise ship is basically a floating hotel. A hotel is basically a box with little boxes with beds in it. And, you know, what differentiates one set of boxes to another set of boxes? Yeah, you can work with the curtains and the carpet and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, it's the people, you know, nobody goes on an amazing holiday and comes back and tells their friends for hours about it based on the color of the curtains or the color of the carpet. They probably talk about, oh, you know, I met this guy in the bar or there was this waiter who did this for me. Or you imagine when I got there, they recognized me. They knew who I was. They made that connection. And, you know, if in my preferences, for example, I say I prefer Champagne to Dom Perignon. You know, the fact that, oh, my God, they understood that and they put Moet in my room, even though probably it would be the way around. But anyway, so getting a whole team of people together to think about how do we want the guests to feel? You know, I'm working with people who are working on that onboard experience and making sure that what the onboard director wants the guests to feel is translated back to the customer contact center team. So that from the very first time you interact with us, from the minute you go on our website, pick up the phone and you call us, you make your booking, you go through, get onto the ship. It, it should feel like, oh my gosh, I know I'm with this brand. I know, I know where I am and I feel known. 
and I feel like an individual and I feel like a person. That's easier said than done because, you know, that's a long journey. And uh, not alone are you trying to onboard them, but keep them over several years then as customers and clients and lifetime loyalty, et cetera. Yeah. And look, my piece is easy in in the big scheme of things because my piece is the behind the scenes, like we're behind the curtain kind of pulling all the strings and making the magic happen. Um, You know, that there's people out there on the ship. But that said, the team we have in the customer contact center are really, really important and really strong companies recognize the strength of their customer facing teams. They're the first person, they make or break it, you know. And that's often the, as you say, the breaking point. And I just, for me, the question always is customer contact centers don't have a great reputation or a name or in relation to paying their people well or whatever. So it's very much a, a lowly paid job in, in often cases. So how do you build that, I suppose, sense of, as you talked about from your childhood, that sense of responsibility for their organization? How have you done that in a multinational? And now how are you doing it here? So first of all, I think you need, to, like any business, you need to treat each person like your employees are your gold, right? They're, you need to treat them exactly as you want them to treat the guests. So you need to listen to them. You need to make them feel personal. Um, I think a lot of companies do that really well. And, and they're getting better at it now. To speak to the last 18 months, or specifically since, I suppose, July, when I put a team together, we were born out of pandemic, right? I went for over a year working with a team that I'd never met physically. We're the company I work with your headquarters in Geneva. Arguably, you could say that if COVID hadn't hit, the opportunity I have to do what I'm having doing now, sitting in Cork, might not have, a, have arisen because they might have said, no, we need you in Geneva. And I would have said, no, I'm not going to Geneva. So it was born out of pandemic as we interviewed people, as we sourced them, as we onboarded them, everything was done remote. We live our, like our office is on teams. We, we kind of don't know anything else. Mm. We have subsequently met a few times, but that's for team building and team bonding. And I think by the time we all got to meet, there was no big surprises. We kind of already knew each other pretty well. You know, you get to know every wrinkle and every frown and every, you know, you can, you can tell if you look, if you actually pay attention, you can tell how someone's feeling by how they appear on the screen. We have a policy of cameras on. That's an interesting point, because if you had said that to people two years ago, like for us in coaching in our business, oh, no, we have to do it face to face because, you know, we get the sense of feeling of that person in the room with us. But what you're saying is, is you you can learn that on a screen. You can learn it on a screen. And when you work in a multi, multi time zone, multi, multinational, multi-location uh, context, it actually makes it easier and more equalizing, I think, for everybody to be on Teams. I think the difficulty is if some people are on Teams and some people are in the room, that's really hard to manage. I mean, I hate I hate doing that. Um, of course, I love, you know, to sit and have a coffee and chit chat. And with some people, we've actually had to build in like coffee mornings where we kind of give ourselves permission to say, we're just going to both grab a coffee. We're going to sit in front of the screen and we're just going to chat like you would in a break room. Have you found that hard to do, building, giving permission? Because, again, it's, we're backed into this, this sense of, you know, it's, here's the next team's meeting. Here's the next team's meeting. And I think we, we've been really hard on ourselves, Caroline. Totally. And the, the pace that what we, the intensity, it's not pace, it's the intensity, I think, of the way we work. 
When I think back to when I was in office, in an office band, the amount of time I wasted was quite sinful now that I think about it. Now it's like meeting after meeting. And that could be a product of the stage we're at as a company. And then the time that you're not meeting, you're kind of blocking it down. Okay, I need to get my head down and do this. But because you're on teams, you're kind of always available. I mean, my team will always sort of say, which is only a click away, right? And I mean, so there's an element of accessibility to everybody, which is great. And it's new. I, I think it is new. I mean, I know how to get hold of the CEO by a click, right? That would have been unheard of five years ago. But I think we probably need to have some new boundaries, a new etiquette as to what's appropriate. And what would you like to see as those new boundaries or, you know, I suppose, contracting around that world of work in the future? Well, I think organizations having a discussion that, first of all, are we comfortable that people are happy working remotely and that are we comfortable that we're getting the best out of them and that they're performing? And then we don't have to be kind of monitoring every single minute. And then I think by somehow communicating that to your team is like, it's like that. It's okay to take a coffee break. I expect you to. Yeah. Um, it's okay to put do not disturb on sometimes if you're working on a project because you would close your office door if you were in an office. And do I think, you know, you're going to fall asleep behind the office door if you're in the office? Some people might have, but the vast majority of people don't. Same thing applies here. Like the vast majority of people are delivering and want to deliver a good job. And if we can make it better for them by working in a way they want, whether that's on site, whether that's remotely or whether that's a mixture, then I just think that's a huge progression in the world, right? It's progression. It opens up opportunities to people all over the place. I mean, it's something that's coming up on the podcast is that sense of trust, you know, is so huge. And, and I think you got that trust from your parents when you were younger, the freedom to make mistakes. And I think that's probably something that's coming through in a lot of the way that you're speaking to people, that sense of trust. And that needs to grow in organizations and organization leaders need to just, you know, trust people that they want to do the best that they can. I mean, you still have to do exactly the same things as you would if you were on. You have to have one-to-ones. You have to have meetings. You have to have, you know, and, and John, I'm thinking about it now. The one thing I know that we've been missing, and it's because I haven't given the team I'm working with now permission to do it, I suppose, as much as myself, is the brainstorming sessions. Like the hour out when you're saying, it, we're so focused on there has to be a reason why we're meeting and there has to be outcome out of every meeting. And we would think nothing of going into our meeting in a boardroom and brainstorming with post-its and talking over each other and all sorts of stuff. And for some reason, we're not as comfortable doing that yet in, on the screen. But I think if we can get to the point, it happened to me yesterday with now that I have a team of people around me and we were talking complete nonsense. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, my God, this is a great session. We've actually managed to get some stuff clear in our heads for the next session. And I think that's me the tricky one, the brainstorming bit, is bit that we're missing. I think, oh, I certainly, I'm sure some companies have perfected it. But I certainly know the people I work, we haven't perfected it yet. But. I think those timeouts are absolutely crucial. And uh, you, you have them in sport. Why shouldn't you have them in any competitive <laughs> industry that you're in? You know, the onset of this hybrid learning and the digitization then of the customer experience, yeah. you know, explain to people 
maybe how that works and how people have got to learn new skills to embrace that more digital world. Uh, because we've all been down that decision tree of the technology and you reach a question that can't be answered and <laughs> the door is closed. Yeah. So what are organizations like your own doing to to improve that and to make that, as you say, a, an exceptional customer experience? I suppose it depends on the, on the industry you're in, right? So there's some industries yeah. that you really can digitize practically everything at this point. And the only reason you need to speak to a person is when something goes drastically wrong. And that's the right way to do it because that's what the customer wants. They want to be able to do their banking online or they want to be able to pay their phone bill or they want to be able to you know, book a flight. That's pretty transactional as well. So the business I'm in at the moment is luxury cruise travel, which is a little bit more complicated. People are spending a lot of money. You know, it could be the trip of a lifetime or, or whatever. And there's a lot of different components. So there's my, there might be the flight, there might be the pre-hotel, the post-hotel. They might, what do we do when we're on ship? What excursions do we do? So there isn't as much opportunity to digitize as much as I would normally like to do, right? So what we try to do is, the trick is, how do you make technology work for you? So how do you make sure that when somebody's ringing up and they say, oh, I'm going to be spending, let's say, part of the journey could be a day in Barcelona. And there's 30 different options of excursions or experiences that they could do while they're there in Barcelona. How do we equip our ambassadors, our people who are talking to them about the brand to be able at a click of a button to find that information and to sound as if they've been there themselves, to give them enough information? So from the business I'm in at the moment, the technology is playing the guide, the teacher, the trainer, let's say, as opposed to being overtly digital to the customer, right? So we haven't launched our website yet. So it will be interesting to see how much business gets booked on the website. I tend to think people will shop on the website and then call us um, and then maybe go back and finalize it on the website. And it has to be this interaction, like, because we like our strategies, we don't care how you contact us. We haven't, like, if you want to call us, you want to email us, you want to book on the website, Whatever way you want to do business, you can book an appointment with us. Our travel advisors can book an appointment with us so that you're, you know, tomorrow, 10 o'clock, I'm booking someone's time. So therefore, I know I don't have to stay, stay in queue. I don't have to listen, you know, to messages. Someone's going to call me who's going to be prepared. And, and it's in and out of that kind of. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, that technology is the aid, the coach, the you know, the, the support mechanism to make me more sounding more knowledgeable to my customer rather than it's taking a huge part of the workout. Yeah, it's not taking the workout. It's just making my job easier. Yeah, yeah. It's enhancing me. And sometimes, you know, we have this tussle between, let's say, the customer experience bit and the IT guys. And the IT guys could be, and I use this, I should say the IT people, but the team in IT, they'll have found some new functionality in the software. And they're like, oh my God, it could do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, that's great. It's amazing. But if you, sometimes you have to be kind of like, but it actually doesn't do us any good. <laughs> so it's fabulous. And for somebody else, it's great. But in, in this context, it's not going to be brilliant. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I'm struggling to set up a CRM system. I'm not a CRM person. And having to decide, like thinking, okay, the decision I make now could last for 50 years or 20 years or something, right? So having to decide the path that we guide our customers through and how we want to know them, what we, what we want to know about them, 
in order to make it better experience for them. You know, it's interesting and it's scary all at one time. It takes a lot of input and it's, um, you know, companies are doing it all over the world. But I suppose our lens then is, is that luxury traveler, you know, and has the luxury traveler changed very much? Certainly a lot of them still go to their travel advisors. They trust their travel advisors. So then our job is to help the travel advisor do their job to you know, partner with their customer. Because I love your strap line. We should be a joy to do business with. I haven't heard that one before. So where did that come from? Yeah, that came. So the, the CEO of Explorer Journeys and the, the team at Explorer Journeys and the head of people, I can see her face, and our head of sales will regularly say to us, you know, we're joyful. We should be joyful. That is the center of our being. And, you know, it might sound a bit corny. I actually said it to some of the team in the desert. I know we laugh at it sometimes, but I said, really? It is actually permeating everything we do. It's like, mm. if it's joyful, it's easy. It's You want to talk to us. You're not going to run away from us. You want to be with us. We want you in an part of our team, right? We want you in our part of the playground. And we're going to do that by being nice and happy and wonderful. You know? And, you know, that is not soft and fluffy because we had um, we had Clive Highland from the Happiness Index talking about neuroscience and when we were on our program together, we learned about the survivor emotions and the thriving emotions. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, the key survivor emotions of fear, for example, and a lot of organizations are driven by fear. And especially during the pandemic, when people had lots of uncertainty, but joy and excitement was over as one of our top eight kind of key driver emotions. And that's in the, the thriving area. And that's where you get people's heart committed to your organization. So it's not just a nice to have. I think it's you're hitting on something here that I think organizations need to, to take more time to build more joyful work environments because they'll get the best out of people. It's not just nice to have. Absolutely. And when I think of Explorer Journeys, which is the cruise line that, that, that I'm working with now, I mean, the amount of thought they put into how they, again, how they want people to feel. And it is about that joyfulness. It's about celebrating the ocean. Um, so it's not just putting a box on the sea and hoping for the best. And it, it's a real privilege to work with a company actually that does put that thoughtfulness into, into how it perceives itself. So all I can do then is, I suppose, pass that on to the people I work with. Right, you know, the, the, like it starts at the top. It starts at the very, very, very top and has to go right down to the that everybody, even when I think of the person who serves the coffee in the office in Geneva, that, that it takes pride in the cappuccino that they deliver. You know, I mean, it, it's the attention to detail because they don't know how happy they make me every day when they give me my cappuccino. Well, you started at the very bottom as a reservation sales agent and have risen to the top. As a woman climbing that career ladder, talk to me about your experiences as, you know, climbing that career ladder. So I never felt disadvantaged that I'm a woman. Personally, I just think I was lucky to be born a woman. I'm just me. I was lucky to be more me. Probably I wouldn't have pushed myself as aggressively as some of my male colleagues that I know. Um, so I would have a different style. And, you know, you could argue maybe maybe I could have had a bit more ambition or I wanted to be the CEO or whatever, but I've always been happy doing what I'm doing. And I've always been happy going that next step and, you know, stretching myself a little bit. And then, you know, I suppose I get more of a kick actually out of bringing people up behind me. 
and seeing the team around me develop. And, you know, I had a boss at one stage who always told me, always hire people that are smarter than you. And I, that was the best bit of advice I ever got. Um, so I've always tried to hire people that are much smarter than me and that probably could do my job much better than me and make sure that they're given the space to excel themselves. You know, not try not to micromanage, you know, try to give them support, make sure that they know that I'm there. I try to kind of clear the path for them if there's politics or whatever involved. Like it's like, you know, my job is to make sure you can do your job. And I've always been lucky enough to work for bosses who felt exactly the same thing. So it again, it's 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 giving people the space to thrive, I think, you know. Um, but as a woman, I think I've done, I've had a I've had a ball, you know. So um <laughs> And yeah, I think it comes across very much. I've always been me, you know, which is great. I, I think, you know, there are lots of people we both met, I, I suppose, in organizations who haven't always been me. Yes. And they've tried to be somebody else and put themselves under lots of pressure. And it's it's very easy to tell. You can tell very quickly when someone's pretending yeah. something they're not. Um, you know, and sometimes it's guiding people into the right career. You know, you have someone say, oh, yeah. I definitely want to work in finance, but, you know, they can't add up two and two. You know, and it's trying to match people to say there's no such thing as somebody with no talent. Everyone has a talent. It's finding what that talent is and yeah. capitalizing on that. You know, you know, you could there's there's some schools of thoughts, right? Where you take what you're good at and you make it better. And then there's others like you also need to take the things you're not good at and you need to get better at them too, right? But it's you know, for me being around a team of people, motivating people, getting us focused and progressing um that's easy for me whereas if you yeah. ask me to sit down and write a report I'll be like oh gosh now and now I'm in trouble you know so at the moment I'm trying to identify who my team is really good at report writing <laughs> they will get that great yeah. and you know everything you've said today has been around you know I'm getting the sense of a person who's in flow you've enjoyed the journey and that's why you have progressed to be a great leader of people and and inspiring to them because I think we all need that inspiration of people around us and they're enjoying their job and as you say creating that joy um Caroline some final quick fire questions for you uh really enjoyed the conversation the the book you'd most recommend uh to anybody um a business book um, you see, this is a typical woman thing. Business book. It, it could be any book. It doesn't need to be a business book. It could be just a book that you've enjoyed. You've got joy from. Always enjoyed book. Gosh, I'm going to be honest here. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. I've read it umpteen times and got stuff out of it again and again. And I think it's like in a context of understanding people, I suppose, um, it's a gothic novel. Um, but it's the story of how we make up stories in our head about other people and how we imagine a story based on our perception when in fact the reality behind it is completely different. You know, I mean, that's always what stuck with me from that book. That's probably not what you were waiting for, John. That's a fantastic answer. That's as good an answer as I could have expected. So great stuff. The best advice you were given in your life, you said was, you know, uh, hire people smarter than you. Yeah. Hire people smarter than you. Yeah. And if you were to name one person that motivates and inspires you, who would that be and why? This is my husband. <laughs> he puts up with me. He puts up with Very me. Good. And he is always in my corner, which is brilliant. That's lovely. Okay, Caroline, I think it was really, really interesting to hear somebody who is so honest as yourself, who has gone on an amazing journey 
And I think the learnings for me today were, you know, giving children freedom to make mistakes, believing anything is possible, having a go, even if some things don't work out, at least you had a go. And to give ourselves permission in this new world of work to take the time out for ourselves. But uh, thanks a lot, Caroline, and uh, enjoy the session today. And as always, inspirational. Best of luck for the future. Thank you very much, John. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Core today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon. Thank you.